Hey guys, welcome to the first turn, a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast with men talk about our favorite. I'm your host, Nick, along with Jordan. Hey yo. And Cody. Yo. This is gonna be an awkward opening because I had something running in the background. I had to close like two seconds into your intro. So there's gonna be some awkward sound <laughs> at the beginning. That's fine. That sounds like fun. Was I the only one who didn't hear some of the little cutouts of Nick there or I was trying I to close know. something in my background, so I don't know. I can't hear me, so... It's fine. Anyways, uh, so today's topic is going to be all about rogue decks. Uh, Mainly, how and why to build them. Uh, So we're not going to go too in-depth on specific decks like Cyber Dragons, Medulches, or Patrol. It'll be more of an in-depth look on, again, why you would want to build a rogue deck in a meta, and good ways to build said deck. Uh, just as a quick aside, uh, the LCS 3v3 tournament happened over the past weekend of mm-hmm. this recording. Um, nothing crazy happened. The winners were a two Zodiac Eldritch and a Dragon Link, which kind of works into our theme of the week with Rogue Decks, the Dragon Link in there. Yeah. So how and why to build Rogue Decks? Do you want to go into more detail uh, about the LCS first before we get into I was going to say, like, that was kind of just like, la bleh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember exactly what happened. It was, like, nothing crazy happened. It was mostly what we were kind of expecting, right? It was a lot of BW, a lot of Drytron. There was a surprising amount of... Well, that was the thing. Like, the Drytron wasn't actually the top deck that won the event. It was yeah. more... Um, VW. Well, I kind of, like, I guess I didn't personally, but it's kind of something I expected to happen. Drytron falling out of favor. Like, it's obviously still tier one, very powerful, but everyone's basically geared up to deal with Drytron now with things like cycle reader the crows all the hand traps for it um like vw now is side decking uh, the orcus counter trap card because they can set it the graveyard with beatrice and then search for ally of justice cycle reader so they have searchable means to disrupt them so like, you have a lot of stuff like that happening now which is just gonna make drytron that much not like weaker but people are a lot more ready for it which just means people aren't as ready for something like VW because the side deck for them is like there's a little bit of overlap, but for the most part, uh, you need to side very different cards for both matchups. Hold on, I, I think I found the top 16 deck lists. I have it pulled up right now. If it, if it loads for me, yeah, I know. Like, I was trying to load this and you were talking. You were just not like, because that's my internet, you know, it's great. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, if you if you look at the results, if you have if you look at the results, if you look at the top sixteen teams, so ends up being almost what. There's a lot of hand traps. Obviously, everyone is kind of trending towards hand traps just because the best decks, if they go off unopposed, they just they win the game automatically. Like, if you have a Herald Ultimate in a sub, 
with four plus negates, which is not an unrealistic situation, then you probably can't deal with it. Um, if you look at it, uh, I'm just doing a rough ballpark number, but like we're looking at at least two thirds, if not more, are playing full suites of Droll. And Droll is normally like a very meta specific hand trap and needs to hit very, yeah. very specific decks. And like everyone's playing Droll. Um, so right there, like it, oh, yeah, there's, right. there's no cool. It's not a coincidence when all of the decks that topped are all maining Droll. Um, you have yeah. literally the team that got first. The two Zodiac players are playing 15 hand traps. And obviously, if you can't afford to play that many hand traps, they'll give you a huge advantage regardless of the die roll. But yeah, like I, the, my current pet deck right now is playing 15 hand traps right now as well. So it's, I, I don't know. It's, there's not really much to elaborate on like the hand trap choices because they're obviously just hating on the meta with all these hand traps. Um, yeah. I think you got to look at it from the other perspective of what decks are now going to be invalidated because they can't afford to play all these hand traps. So, like, VW can still do quite a bit if they're playing, you know, like, nine hand traps. Uh, Dry, yeah, I know, like, Drytron looks... suffers quite a bit if they have to play too many hand traps. So, it's interesting. Yeah, but Drytron has, like, the I got like the inherent advantage going first of having that Herald of Ultimateness and having like the Herald of Orange Lay, right? Yeah, but they basically it's just because they need to resolve certain effects to go off, right? Like they don't have there's no pivoting in Drytron. If you do have the blow cards, then you have no fallback play. And not that like that's ever the correct thing to do in Yu-Gi-Oh is like try to have different fucking routes in case something doesn't work but when you're playing drytron and your opponent does open three of their five cards being hand traps and you don't draw absolute perfect like your opponent then gets to do literally whatever they want because yeah. you don't have any like comeback play or you don't have any uh defensive plays rather and it looks like that's just what all of these players counted on was Drytron not opening perfect and them doing enough to stop them and then that's it. Just barely enough. That's what got them there. Like, it's funny too because the one guy in the top deck list, the top team playing Dragon Link, if you look at the match in the finals, he was the guy who got paired up against the Adamancipator player and the Adamancipator just tooled him because... The Dragon Link player was playing against a more greedy combo deck. Like, that's what happens is control loses to greedier control decks. Where, like, you know what beats an Eldritch deck that has 15 hand traps and 9 actual traps? A control deck that has 30 traps. Like, that's what's going to beat the control deck. What beats a combo deck? A greedier combo deck. So, like, that's that fine balance of these guys play it just enough anti-combo cards to beat combo but then not losing to the control deck because the one interesting thing is you look at uh was it top four top eight regardless uh jesse cotton and uh Bodentenek, mm -hmm. right two real notable players 
both played this 29 trap Eldritch deck. And this deck was obviously just tailored to just destroy every other control deck. Because, like, it, a lot of control decks rely on very basic effects to resolve to carry, like, through the game. While all their defensive mm. cards basically stop you from doing anything. But they had literally just Inspector Border Rivalry. And that's enough to keep everyone <laughs> in check. Yeah, like, they didn't end up doing better in top 16, but who knows? It could have literally just been them losing die roll and then losing to Harold Valdeminos. That's that's you. Yeah. I do think it's kind of funny that we went, like, what was it, a month and a half where hand traps were kind of garbage, and then Drytron showed up, and now everyone's going back to many, like, 15 hand traps, like you said. Mm-hmm. I still hate I mean, hand traps, to be honest. I wish we could play without them, because I think the game yeah. is so much funner when you don't need them, but when a deck can very consistently set up you can't play Yu-Gi-Oh, then you, you can't just play that game anymore. Yeah, it, just be, it becomes a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. And the game tends to go through cycles like that, though, right? Because yeah. we end up having the cycle, like, a couple formats ago, it was better, like you said, not to play hand traps and just player deck out as consistently as possible with as many combos and extender as you need, right? Mm-hmm. Well, like, I think it comes down to the idea that like the, a ban list happens and it kind of creates parity between all the decks, so there's no longer that one deck that's kind of just exploding off on everybody else, so we start playing less hand traps because everyone's kind of playing on equal field, and now your unbreakable board from like a month ago is gone. I can just play through what you have, try to do my thing, and then you can try to play through it. You don't have to worry so much about hand traps, but then all the hand traps come back in once we get that one one or two big decks again that just do things like pop out BFD or pop out Ultimate Nest that like prevent you from playing the game, so now you have to be able to stop your opponent on their turn again. Actually, you know what? I... Her, I have a beef with some of these lists, okay? You know what annoys me? If I'm going to play in a 3v3, which hopefully before I'm done playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I get to play in one of these 3v3 events. I don't understand why some teams are, first of all, playing different decks, right? Because, like, I get it's cute. Hey, one guy's playing Dinos, one guy's playing Virtual World, one guy's playing whatever, right? But, Mm -hmm. like, if one guy's playing Dinos, that means he's thinks that deck is the best call for the meta so Mm -hmm. why is the whole team not playing dinos and then on the flip side you can even dissect that further by looking at some decks there's literally teams that got top 16 that played drytron 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 why are they all playing different deck lists i don't understand that like if you are playing with somebody and it's in your best interest for them to do well and you're making a you know, a critical choice between option A and option B, and your teammate is doing the opposite. Why? Why are you not coming to an agreement on what is good and bad? And if you guys can't come to an agreement, then there's an issue with your guys' like deck theory and deck philosophy. Like, you either need to agree that one card is the optimal choice, and that, you know, you're doing it wrong, or I'm doing it wrong, and why were you right? And then fix it. Because, like, I, I, that just pisses me off. If I'm taking a 3v3 seriously, like, if I'm going to invest that much of my time and money, assuming this is an IRL event, 
I'm making sure every single person on my team is playing the same cards as me. Not because I have an ego complex and I want them to play what I'm playing, but because if they have some theory or some insight into something that I'm not 100% sure on, I want to know why so that I can, you know, reevaluate and optimize what I'm doing. I don't understand why people play different decks. So yeah. that whole concept of people still believe that there is a preference to what you want to play and the preference is bigger than them playing as optimally as possible the the entire idea of people playing two is because oh i only want to see it sometimes not all the time right well like yeah you can say that but i feel like that's the whole thing of like there it's very easy to say oh well they're just stupid and they don't know any better like that's just a catch-all <laughs> out for them like no that's not an answer to the problem no like i know me and you cody we've because like we were planning on doing that we wanted to do that three the vegas one ycs in vegas like the first one that happened but like obviously fans fell through on that but mm -hmm. it was like you said if like we're gonna if we were going to enter that with the express intent of competing to do well in the tournament why in my mind would i not want to play the best deck possible mm -hmm. and like why would i divide my team into three different decks two of which i would assume are not as optimally built as the one and risk losing like sure we can run into bad matchups but if we've built the deck optimally then it should be that much of an issue and this isn't and like go ahead no no you, you go ahead. okay and like this isn't a matter of trying to argue what is the best deck that's not the point i'm making yeah. you can get into greater detail about why is drytron the best choice or if you're assuming drytron is the best choice is there another optimal meta choice that deals with drytron but has a greater spread over what you expect the meta to be like that's not what i'm getting at it's when you come to the conclusion that my option a the best choice for what gives me the highest odds to do well how do i get to that conclusion while also accepting that my team is not coming to that same conclusion that pisses me off true true enough and like it, like it ends up being a statistical thing too right mm -hmm. like like you said if you've built your deck with in your eye like in your eyes is like the most optimal deck you could be building and in theory you've optimized it against all the matchups uh, like basically the idea is now the only thing you're going to lose to is dice rolls and bad luck mm -hmm. now if you have three people playing this like optimized list and we all know how to play it very well we have three people going at it we've just like increased our odds to win exactly as opposed to like let's play three different decks that like each of us think are optimized but we haven't really discussed it and oh i lost the bad luck oh i lost the misplay and then I'll, like something here happened mm -hmm. so i think that's worked on the one thing i think that's what the idea though is you take that on the flip side from what i'm thinking right now is they might have the mindset that like say like you do three of the same deck mm -hmm. or three completely different decks and i think it should be one or the other and the reason being is because if you do three different decks then you kind of um, play a different odds game of like, well, like the rock, paper, scissors type deal, right? So like, I have a rock deck, paper deck, scissors deck. 
and I could play three scissors, and hopefully I face up against two papers and a rock or three papers, right? But you're never, you never know if it's gonna be that way, and so I think they're playing that odds of. That makes no like, sense. How does it not make sense? Because like you're literally talking about something that's thirty three percent chance either way, right? Like that, that's compl- we're talking about a perfectly even neutral playing field that every deck has the exact same chance to win, and that's not how this works. And like you can't say, oh, I'm playing, you know, the meta deck, the expected deck in my A slot, and I'm gonna play a rogue deck in B and C because you can't account for what people are playing in B and C. And you can get real meta with it and say, hey, I know most best players are gonna play in the middle seat, so I want one of my guys who's playing, you know, a very basic control deck that's good at coaching to play in the B seat, so he can play a brain dead deck and he can help coach the left and right players. But that's not what happened, and that's that's I guarantee you no maybe one or two players are thinking to that degree but even then that's that's min maxing way too hard like when you're talking about trying to say hey these players are playing you know all of them are playing rock or each player is playing rock paper scissors why does that matter in in what way like i see it coming down to the idea of like even like in a one in like a regular tournament ycs where you go in and you okay I'm making this pick on this deck because I think that it is the optimal deck to play for this tournament. Like, that mentality still falls into the idea of the 3v3. Like, everyone, I think everyone should be playing the same deck because we've built it optimally. And regardless of the matchups, we're going in with the best odds to pilot this one deck forward. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're basically increasing our odds to win because we're, again, playing the same deck. We all know how to play it. And we're lessening the... I guess lessening maybe the variance of it. Of like, Sure, we might run into a bad matchup, but like, let's say... But like, now we have, instead of one chance of beating it, we have three chances of beating it. And like, there's an argument to be made for how strong someone feels with the deck. And like how comfortable they are playing and piloting what your team comes to an agreement is the best deck or the best option rather. But even then, if the issue with the deck choice isn't necessarily you know a numbers game or and you know it's some you know extra issue like how comfortable somebody's with the deck or you know how good they are playing Yu-Gi-Oh, then that's an issue they need to figure out. That's not Yu-Gi-Oh anymore. Like, if you have somebody who just can't play Drytron because they're not good at it, then it's not because Drytron's a bad choice. It's because that player's a bad choice. <laughs> it's true. Like, uh... no, you're not wrong there. <laughs> no, like, there's, there's a reason why, like, if me and Cody are going to A3B3 YCS, like... They're not taking we're... me. Yeah, we're, we're going to be picky. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't even want to get all weird about it like that and start trying to tell people they're bad. But, like, if if I say, like, let's just pull some random fucking example. Let's assume there's a 2021 3 vs. 3 later in the year and Harpies, for some reason, is the best deck. And I've come and I'm able to prove that Harpies is the choice that we need to play and we all play it. Like, if you can't play that deck, then you're not coming. So, yeah. Like, obviously, Harpies is probably not the choice. But you get what I mean. Like, some random deck. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
if you can't pick up a deck and learn how to play the deck uh, well enough within a time frame, then... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, I believe we're all of the mindset that you can, if, if, if you know the game well enough, you can pick up any deck and learn how to play it within an allotted amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, the amount of times I've gone to a locals and I'll, I'm going to play this round of a deck that I just got, or I'm going to borrow someone's deck and never played it before, and then I do well anyways. Mm-hmm. That's, like, if you're a good enough player, you can pick up a deck and you know the basics. There's a counterpoint to that even as well, though, where, yes, you should be able to play any deck, but, like, if you're playing a deck that is so convoluted and so ridiculous that it just <laughs> increases your odds for misplay, and it just it, it causes you to go through more risky game states, like then that effectively brings down the value of the deck in general and as a whole. So like it's not so much that you have to be able to play the most convoluted, complicated, super solitaire twenty minute turn that has like a ninety five plus percent chance FDK. It's just like if you play those decks, but it's so ridiculous that there's a high enough chance that you can fuck something up, then it's probably not optimal either. And so that's not necessarily on, like, a bad player either. Like, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and a lot of players who play semi-casually, semi-competitively, and don't understand why they don't consistently, you know, go X1 at their locals, is they don't think about the game at that level. And it seems to suck the fun out of it, but, like, when you do well at large events, if you're traveling thousands of miles, then, I'm sorry, it stopped being fun. Like, you need to yeah. start taking it no, seriously. Like if, if I'm if I'm spending several hundred dollars just to travel somewhere and play in a large tournament, I'm not there to play nice and make friends with people. I'm there to compete and win. So I'm going to play the best possible thing I can. And if it means putting in the time to learn, like, the super convoluted decks, I'm a super convoluted deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, just to let everybody know, that doesn't take away from the actual, like, trip being great itself, right? Just, you know, if you're going to go on these trips, don't go just for the trip. Just know that the trip itself is usually the best part of the trip. Well, I mean, like, there's people that go on the trip just for the trip. But, like, there's... There's people that are like competitive. Like I'm, I'm a very competitive person. I don't like losing. I think we all so are. For, yeah. So like for me, I, the trip is always my favorite part of, like going to a large event. But that's not going to take away from the fact that when mm-hmm. I'm at the event, I don't care about what happened on the trip. I'm mm-hmm. playing to win. So like I think as a side note for what you were saying Cody like for my understanding anyway <clears throat> sorry is if like the deck that remind what you explained the deck that reminds me of a lot is the Dragon Ruler deck and this is back in the Dragon Ruler spell book format yep can never learn the Dragon Ruler deck not for the life of me mm-hmm. like I sat down and I watched you play I don't know how many games I still cannot learn that deck the little nuances that came with it I couldn't do it but the spellbook deck is just straightforward. Do this. Like yeah. There are little nuances, but there are definitely not as many as the Dragon Blue deck. Yeah, I don't know. I have such a weird view of how that meta went because I played that whole format playing every variation of Dragon Rules you could. 
down to the point when it was like the the same static 37 cards and you only changed the last three like i played every version and like the deck that won that nationals patrick hoban won with a version of dragon rulers that i think was two cards main board difference than what i played so like i feel like i was pretty confident with the deck choice i made but after that format came and gone and i played spellbooks like i don't understand why i ever sat on drag rulers i i, I still <laughs> have this like i'm admittedly probably wrong but i have this like view in my head that i think spellbooks were just that ridiculous that they should have been my choice and i could have done better with them now that doesn't matter now that was literally eight years ago but still mm-hmm yeah. Do you guys said. have any other thoughts on the? Do you guys have any other thoughts on the three reels? Uh, were there any of the teams that had the same three decks at all, or no? There was, all there was a lot. Uh, actually, there's one example. There's this team. Uh, yeah. Okay. Three so here's a perfect example. There was a team. Uh, yeah. Just double checking. Yeah. So a team called the Irishman. They got top sixteen, and this is the only team I respect. Okay. <clears throat> Obviously, every team here is good to a degree, outside of just being lucky. But literally, all three players, A, B, and C, all played the exact same virtual world deck. Not that it's hard to build virtual world when you literally just plug and play three of everything, but that's just the nature of the deck. Uh, They played the exact same 40-card main deck, 50 inside, 15 extra. Everything, the exact same. And you know what? I don't know if they just came together as a group or they just trusted one guy to come up with the best optimal like set, but these guys played what they thought was the perfect 40, and that's what you should do. I mean, it helps that they call themselves the Irishman. Sure, but like they they played their optimal stack, and that's what you should yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Do I agree that their choice was the best choice? No, not necessarily, but I appreciate that they all came together and agree that this was their best choice, even if I don't necessarily agree. The method is what I agree with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something to take note of for people who plan on attending a 3v3 in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So on to the actual topic of the day. Decks, how and why build them. Um, I guess me and Cody would have the most to say about this. You keep cutting out, Nick. I don't know if it's uh, your connection Uh, or something or not. So it's not just me. Sometimes he just, like, blanks out for a sec. Yeah. It's literally, like, a split second. Mm -hmm. So, like, you miss, like, a word or two. It happened on the last podcast, too, a couple times, but, like, it wasn't a big deal. That's weird. You're sounding a bit better now. Well, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just random when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, Jordan, like, technically you play Rogue because you play Medulce, but um, I feel like this is more of a discussion for <laughs> me and Cody. Just Honestly, I think a, Jordan's like, probably more catered to this than you are, Nick. Just because, like, his, Actually, yeah. he's had such a narrow view of the meta through the view of a Medulce player that he's got the perspective of like the underdog theory right where you gotta kind of deal with every overpowering there's strategy so that's many existed for so long with a rogue deck yeah yeah there's a lot I of nuances with rogue decks and if you don't 
actually like sit down and know your deck well enough and know how to do those little nuances like you knowing your win and loss rates versus certain decks with rogue is huge right i mean there's obviously the the idea of like are you playing rogue because you expect that you can win with this rogue deck like is it the pickup sleeper for uh the meta or are you playing this rogue deck because it's your favorite archetype and you want to play it as often as possible right like i fall under that category a lot more than the other one because I do like the Medulce deck a lot. I like the archetype a lot, and I do want to play it as optimally as possible. But yeah. there is that mindset of like, what are the nuances of the deck that helps it win against certain matchups, right? I think that's yeah. that leads into like the first point of yeah. the show notes you have here is like how to pick the deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, it's kind of like how to pick the deck, and like why would you want to build a rope deck? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. Like. Um, from a competitive standpoint, like building a rogue deck seems like such a coin toss to do. Um, like like, me, I said. like me, for example, I play a lot of I play a lot of competitive decks because I want to increase my odds of winning. Mm-hmm. But picking a rogue deck, you're kind of you're basically gambling. You're playing a deck that. Uh, is known to maybe not be as strong like it has the potential to be as strong as top decks when it goes off but for the most part every rogue deck has some kind of liability to it that prevents it from breaking into those like into that like tiered status of like tier one tier two mm-hmm. tier zero etc i so, think i think there's a little bit more to it than that i think you're kind of you know just in a generality saying it's just mm-hmm. weaker but like i'll use cyber dragon as an example because that's the one deck i think i spent the most time on and i build cyber dragons every format every time there's a new release i go back to it and right now cyber dragons isn't an op- a viable choice but for different reasons and not that it's necessarily weaker but like the deck has some advantages going over what's the meta deck they have an extremely strong normal someone that searches offensive or defensive picks it plays very well with dragoon it has non-targeting destruction which is always really strong and it has like a Mm -hmm. very easy otk like there's all these things sound like typical you know tier one attributes Mm -hmm. uh one of the main issues for why a deck like cyber dragons tends to fall off right now is that they are susceptible to droll. That's a really big issue. Yeah. And uh, DD Crow right now is kind of annoying against that deck. So, like, things that are hitting meta decks are also indirectly hitting my off-meta choice. So, like, that's when it's not a good choice. But, like, if things that are hating on specifically meta does nothing to my rogue deck, and my rogue deck also trades favorably to the gameplay style of the meta deck. So, for example, do you realize how bad Eldritch has it and, like, the meta in general to Infernoid? Like, Infernoid doesn't care about your hand traps. Almost all the hand traps, except maybe Crow, but even then your Crow has to be extremely smart to beat Infernoid. Like, Infernoid has the most blowout going second cards and going first cards. They don't care about Ash, 
kind of because like they also play gamma very well they they set up so that they don't really lose to ash off of their uh void vanishment because they can play around it so easily droll doesn't really matter either because they're usually searching one time uh ghost bell doesn't really matter i don't think uh skullmeister doesn't matter because they're all inherent summons like and all of their things are walking dd crows they also like if you think punishment's bad imagine them resolving the void fusion spell and then popping three cards with entis like they get to pop your whole field and then they also get to dump uh omegas which then spin away your graveyard effects like void right now if somebody won an event with void or in foranoid rather i wouldn't be surprised why because it's clearly hating on what's like the best deck right now if they were to not top it would be because they ran into other rogue decks that trade very favorably in turn fernoid or like some other random whatever but the point being is the fernoid is a perfect example of a rogue deck right now that is so perfectly tailored to beat what did well in the lcs three versus three and if we saw the deck that won or the team that won was three infernoid players i would be like yeah these guys made the most meta call ever and played through the meta to win that's an example of like how to pick a a rogue deck mm-hmm. find find some niche element to the deck that is better than what the meta deck does and infernoid is a strong going first or second option but it preys on graveyard reliance strategies and doesn't lose to what is considered the necessary hand traps that everyone's playing. So you hit that, you hit enough niche markers that you're playing into the meta with something that's resilient to it, and that's that's how you should play your meta de- or your rogue deck, not because yeah. it's cute chocolate furry animals. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like, <laughs> on the flip side, right? There's the other side of playing rogue decks. Like I said, was playing your favorite archetype, right? Mm-hmm when you play a deck solely because you like the deck don't expect to win with it that's like the first thing you have to understand is that as much as you can build the deck as optimally as possible as much as you can build the deck to do as well as possible you need to understand and this took me a while but you need to understand that you're inherently going to lose more than win because of that now there are going to be wins for the sole fact that maybe your opponent doesn't know how to play against your deck so you are playing against the meta deck but your opponent doesn't know how to play against your deck and you do edge out the win because of that those things happen but for the most part if you are playing a deck that you just want to play just for fun you're obviously going to lose more than win um now sometimes when you do build rogue decks like in my case, I took my rogue deck recently, like I took Medolce, and instead of building pure, like I used to do a lot, I have now taken a chunk of the deck itself and just splashed it with Eldritch. So it's like I'm playing somewhat of a meta deck, but it's still rogue, and it's still, like I, I still understand that because I am playing it the way I am, I am I, I the chances of me winning more than losing more is still different, right? But those are just those are just some ideas of like if you want to play rogue, right? Like what Cody was alluding to was the Infernoid 
idea of just picking a deck that you like that slept on, like Infernoid, or picking a deck that you just enjoy playing. Like in my case, would be Madolce. I'm sure uh, you guys have uh, like decks that you guys would just enjoy playing, sitting down and playing with. Like I know Nick has his plunders. You like you said, you had Cyber Dragons. Mm-hmm. So for like me with my plunder deck, it's less. Like, I do have a lot of fun with it. Uh, but regardless, like, a big thing for me is that Plunder's so rogue that it's bordering, like, it's bordering the fact that, like, uh, I'm pretty sure if I took it to a Locals, maybe two people would know what my deck does. That's a whole, like, thing I want to get into as well, is the surprise yeah. um, factor. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's, you know, it's something we can go into a bit more in depth when we get to it but like yeah so me picking plunders as my like as my pet rogue deck right now is one i like pirates two i get to say booty on like on streams and stuff it's great dude my pet deck right now i i want to so desperately (laughs) play because one of the evil twin archetype cards says gg easy (laughs) oh right it's so cute yeah but, like, yeah, like, I'm picking, like, I have Plunder as my rogue deck purely for the fact of, like, the surprise on it. And we've alluded to it before. It's it's less a choice based on the meta and more its playstyle is so different than what's being played right now that I'm hard to, I'll be hard to hand trap. People won't know how to play against me. And I can pick up fairly easy, like, game one wins purely off of my opponent not knowing what to do. Or just not being prepared in general. So, like, exactly. to elaborate a little bit on that idea is, like, the whole surprise factor, right? Like, if you, your opponent's playing, you know, cookie cutter meta deck and you're playing something like Plunder, that's very misunderstood or just not understood at all. Like you have already at you already have a huge <laughs> advantage, right? And there has to be some value to that when you're building a deck. Like if you're playing the most cookie cutter version of Virtual World, you have to understand that you're at a disadvantage just by default because you your opponent probably knows your deck list like ninety five plus percent because of just the nature of how your deck functions. Now, mm-hmm. Plunder is such a unique example that I. I played against uh, Nikolai some time ago, right after he picked up his plunder deck. And he put it together, and it was supposed to be just like a Mimi deck when I was building some random rogue thing. He was building rogue thing. He put it together, and he was beating me more than, you know, more than usual, and I was just getting blown out by this plunder deck. And I was trying to figure out, as I was playing through the games, and I think we got like four or five games in, and I was like, this deck is true Draco. Like, it's just True Draco 2.0. And it's like, obviously, there's almost no parallels between the two. But the reason why I was making that comparison is that the way Plunder operates is so fundamentally different than how conventional Yu-Gi-Oh! plays that Plunder plays on, like, a different axis almost. Like, the reason why True Draco was such an ignorant, hard-to-deal-with deck is that not that you didn't respect it enough to play it like or to prepare for it but when you have five typical decks you come across in a tournament and four of them all play 
the same monster effects that special summon, the same back row that you need to resolve, so you know you need to deal with them in some way, some same extra deck monsters that deal with similar effects and yada yada yada. They all have some similarities and they all have this overlap that you can build your deck to beat that overlap. Whereas True Draco was like herder, I don't use extra deck. Herder, I don't use hand traps. And then they just go tribute, normal summon. Oh, my removal's not monster effects. It's a trap in the graveyard. Good job. Like everything they did was so fundamentally different than conventional Yu-Gi-Oh of that time that you couldn't deal with that and the rest of the meta. And it was never smart to play into the one deck versus the other four. So you just had to sacrifice the True Draco matchup. So you had a lot of egotistical True Draco players who thought they were good when, no, they were just playing the bastard child of the format and won because their deck just did ignorant things that weren't conventional Yu-Gi-Oh. They were playing Cardfight Vanguard in Yu-Gi-Oh. Like, that's that's not good Yu-Gi-Oh. So they would win because of that. And they would win just because the deck was so inherently different that is what plunder is plunder deals with certain aspects of the game differently than every other deck like they still do graveyard floating they still you know special summon from the extra deck so it's not entirely different like true draco but like they have very quick one for one removal and they punish you for toolboxing which is like a bad thing usually um they also have just like decent floating effects, obviously, and they can toolbox into almost any effect they need, depending on how you play. So like there's just a lot like as soon as if Plunder ever was the quote unquote best deck, it could never be because it's so easy to beat if you play and build for it. But as long as it stays at tier two at best, the deck will be a huge issue because people just will not want to play like an anti-plunder version of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, like what kind of person's gonna go, I don't want to play these good hand traps that are good against the meta mm-hmm. because I'm afraid that plunder's gonna go herder boat. Yeah, like no, look, you don't think that way. <laughs> look at the current example. Like the best the you know, the current understood best deck right now was like the Zoo Eldritch, which regardless of you agree or not like they have 15 hand traps plunder punishes you for playing hand traps turn one like that's that's funny oh yeah like if yeah if you hit me with a gamma or i yeah like if you hit me with a gamma you gave me monster negation on my like turn one for no or like an ash blossom gives me spell and trap destruction yeah a dark card gives me monster removal monster like monster removal Mm -hmm. for no like all those for free like, oh, cool, you DD crowed me. Now I have monster removal. Yep. And other stuff. It's great. Like, if you play in a world where they can't summon the, the fire ship, Bran, I think it's Bran, right? If they can't summon Bran yeah, yeah. and you have all your removal tied to spells and traps, then you will have a great plunder matchup. But how often can you play a deck that plays all their removal and you know, advances their game state through spells and traps alone, which is like Eldritch right now, technically. But if you summon Eldritch, then you're basically turning off monster effects for the rest of the game, because they have their light ship now, which their light ship also turbos the rest of their game because they get to start detaching guys like plunders freely. Yes, like you get to the point where if you have an Eldritch on board and I'm making Bliss the, like, the light ship, 
now I have access to the fireship brand because I'm now able to start recurring my equipped monsters and like getting a tuner, getting a non-tuner on board, and just straight up synchro summoning my fireboat. Plus the the dark and light or the dark and fire ships banish, right? Like the the dark one yeah, also yeah, as well. Yeah, so like that's another thing too. Like they just ignore graveyard recursion because they're just gonna banish your thing. So like that's what I mean about plunder. The deck isn't the best deck, and it never can be. But holy fuck, is that deck all? bitch to deal with if you're dealing with the meta deck and you have to play against plunder like it's so ignorant and you have to ha build correctly to beat it mm -hmm. that's an example of like a rogue deck that is not necessarily catered to the meta but is just so off the rails different that it wins because your opponent just doesn't know how to beat it and even like somebody like me who's got some pretty extensive you know game time against it like even to this point i still struggle against that deck and i still consider plunder one of the best rogue decks so you gotta like watch out for stuff like that yeah so i think we've kind of like agreed upon there's three bases for a rogue deck there's your deck that you play because it's your favorite archetype um it may or may not be good but you're playing it because you want to um and you're kind of under the idea that you're probably not going to win a tournament with it, but you're there to have fun and play something kind of off the beaten path. Then you have your meta pick rogue deck like Infernoids, where you're playing this because you know it has such a blow a matchup against what is considered the top deck, and you're no longer weak to kind of the meta hand traps, stuff like that, and then you have your just completely off-the-rails rogue deck that is kind of doing its own thing. People can't really deal with it effectively without building specifically for it, and just, again, are not prepared for it whatsoever, okay. and it just kind of does its own thing. Pretty much playing a rogue deck because you don't expect people to know how to beat it. Yeah. That right, that point is like one of the main reasons to even, you know, acknowledge a rogue deck is mm -hmm. just the advantage you'll have going into the matchup, knowing that yeah. I know exactly the optimal time to Ash Blossom. But yeah. if I'm playing Cyber Dragon and somebody is not familiar with the matchup, and I go normal summon Cyber Dragon Core, effect to search mm -hmm. Cyber Spell Trap, and you're like, uh, well, I don't know this, what this deck does, but this is a search, uh. Ash, I guess, and then I'm like, okay, machine dupe for game, and they're like, oh, I should have ashed that instead. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a lot of, lot of rogue strats that do that, where they'll punish you for doing yeah. that thing. Like, example, plunder, right? You go plunder, discard for the field spell to search a plunder, and you're like, uh, I think I have to ash, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I set up the fire ship, and all of a sudden your Eldritch deck seems real bad. <laughs> the other idea behind that, too, is some people like, Medulta is a bad example, but also like kind of an okay example here is if I obviously if I normal summon the Stratos Magellan in the deck, you ash it. That that's the obvious play there because that's just trying to turn all my deck right. Uh -huh. You don't expect me to have uh, Petting Sister in my hand. However, if I just do special summon Petting Sister or try to special summon using its effect, uh -huh. um, I don't find that's actually the best time to Ash Blossom because a I haven't used my normal summon, and b 
um, if I do have another one of my other pieces in my hand that I can do something with, I can still play Yu-Gi-Oh, right? You mm -hmm. ash the whatever card I bring out with uh, Penning Sister, which is usually an Anjali. Like, Anjali, if you if ash wasn't an Anjali, it's just like, oh, crap, okay, I'm done. Because if I have a Penning Sister in my hand and I decided to do Anjali first, which, by the way, is terrible Yu-Gi-Oh, mm -hmm. um, I've totally just turned off my entire deck because Penning Sister now can't be activated because I have a monster in the graveyard. Woohoo! Yeah. Right? So... But I know, like, playing a lot of people, I've done, like, Petting Sessor, Effect, Ash, like, K. Or they Ogre it, and, like, K, weird, but okay. I can still play Yu-Gi-Oh! under those circumstances. But then I bring out the Anjali, and this has happened against uh, a couple people where I've been like, Anjali, Effect, and then they go, okay, Ash now, and I'll be like, yeah, set, pass. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> knowing those choke cult, like, some people will know the choke points of your deck when you're playing Rogue, and that just happens. But, like, if you're going into an event with a rogue deck, having the idea that your opponent isn't going to know where your choke points are, and that's your advantage, then, yeah. I've done that with a lot of regionals. I Like, Medulce is one of the ex examples. The other example was Mermail. Yeah. I mean, my times, people... I think, I think Mermail is different, though. I think Mermail just plays on a different axis. It's a better that example. Because Mermails yeah. would feast in a format where everyone was trying to set up some strong turn one situation and mermails is like herder i'm just gonna kaiju and try to swing for lethal like that's just different mm -hmm. kind of Yu-Gi-Oh. but even then like the like with the ash blossom example too right like knowing how to hit ash properly against that deck and the amount of times that people would like ash blossom uh either the, like if you play the genix undyne build right if they were to ash blossom genix undyne or neptibus but because they use a cost to send the water monster already, that you're already gaining that advantage, and now they just wasted an ash blossom essentially. So, mm -hmm. always read your cards. Always read your cards. Yeah. So, um, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about is kind of building rogue decks. The I'm not like gonna rag on anybody for net decking, obviously, but like when you have meta decks in my opinion they're a lot easier to build and the biggest nuance for making a meta deck is less picking out your ratios for like the cards themselves like in dry trials like oh do i play three zeta or two zeta it's like no you just play three zeta optimal we all know that already um it's the nuances for building meta is picking your kind of filler cards like which hand traps you want to play which random tech trap you want to play small stuff like that now with your rogue decks uh since they're played so infrequently it's a lot harder to find kind of a winning consistent strategy for it and i find for the most part when building rogue you're going to basically be flying by the seat of your pants, building the deck on your own, <laughs> finding your own ratios, and working it out for yourself. So I wanted to ask Cody and Jordan specifically, it was like, what's your mindset when you're building a rogue deck? Like, how do you pick your ratios? Um, how do you identify, like, your strengths and weaknesses? And, like, I don't know if you, you want to start, no, Cody. You, or... you go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I could fill two so, hours like, want... with this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair, and I can. I'll just fill in what I know. But the 
good best example I have, like what you were saying there, where some people trying to play a rogue deck, it's like, oh, I want to pick this up, I want to find a good list for it, right? And you find lists that do successful for the rogue deck, right? Uh, yeah. I'm going to pick up a list that did well in Australia uh, recently. It was like last month they did like a couple winner boxes. And there's this Medolce list that's been flying there, and kudos to the guy who's been topping with this list. I can't stand it. This Medolce list is the most garbage Medolce list I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen pretty garbage Medolce lists. And I'm pretty uh, biased, I guess, when it comes to like proper Medolce ratios and proper whatever you play for the deck, because I've put so much time and effort into the deck. But I mean, there were random card choices and non-card choices that just made no sense to me and i don't have the list in front of me to say it all but like if he plays medulce knights one more time i think i'm gonna just like be in so much pain looking at that card they, they, in no world do i want to play this card because it just doesn't there, there's too much that has to go right for that card to be good and he no so <laughs> um yeah so like when it comes to like rogue deck un unfortunately unlike like what you said when it comes to like meta decks you can net deck them there's usually a pretty strong you know solve the list out there already that you can kind of follow and base off that right uh a lot of rogue decks you're not going to find that and you're going to have to put in a lot more effort into it and you're going to have to find out exactly what the purpose of the deck is what you're trying to do with the deck and then figure out the ratios that accommodate that. So I'm gonna use like I'm gonna use the Medolce deck as a good example here, where my my purpose for the deck was to go first with it. I know a lot of people are like, oh, but you're a strong going second deck, you have one card OTKs. It's like, yeah, I do, but my one card OTKs are so vulnerable that I like get hand trapped at one point and then I just lose that game. There's no coming back, and I didn't want that. So I decided to go for a more going first build that thrived on Promenade as a card. That card coming out for that deck was just the... Oh my goodness, it was such a godsend for that deck. Because now the deck actually has a functioning, a really... Like, I was playing it going first before this card came out, but now it has a really good functioning going first play. And the entire idea was I still have a one-card combo, but my one card combo leads me to a board of a glass souffle with a promenade set. And that's off of one card. So now I have four other cards that I can do whatever with. So now I want to minimize the amount of Medulce cards I don't need to make this happen. And maximize the amount I do need. To make it happen, I need a starter. And I have three starters I can pick from. I can either play Magilene, Angeli, or Petting Scissor. And because I want to optimize the amount of times I do this combo, I play three of each. Now, in some instances, you can maybe cut back on it, but I don't want to just because I want to make sure that I am doing this as consistently as possible. And then after that, I, you minimize on what would be considered like your garnets, essentially, right? The bricks. Uh, I don't care what anybody says, who kicks a brick? Uh, in the in the way I play the deck, or the way I, I believe you should be playing the deck, you never want to see that card in your opening hand, because it does nothing. And a lot of people will be like, oh, but you just have to get a monster in the graveyard. It's like, yeah, the deck has no 
actual in-deck mechanic to get a monster in the graveyard other than Anjali, which is already going to get you the hoot cake to begin with. So why play more than one? The only difference I have from my ratios then afterwards is playing two Messenger Lotto, and that's just because there's a combo afterwards that needs two of it. Now, like I said, that's the idea you have with the deck, right? You got to put in a lot more effort with the rogue deck, and you got to find out exactly what you're trying to do and the combo you're trying to pull off and why you play these cards and take it from there. And then once you have like a solid idea of with what you, what your strategy is and what you play with those cards, then you can start messing around with like, okay, what are the supplement cards I want to play afterwards that are going to help me get to this combo, right? So unfortunately, because Medulce are so linear in what they do and they have such a way they like to do things, there isn't really much you can actually play like for a pure list anyway. There isn't much you can play with it to kind of push the deck any more forward like right now we have pot of prosperity which is great it's such a good card for the deck it lets you get to those starter pieces even more lets you get to those combos that you want to play and then you still have these four cards in your hand hopefully these four cards are like some kind of interruption so that during your next turn you can just go off but obviously that's not always going to happen but that's kind of like the mindset i took with my deck was trying to make sure that I have as little as possible with my ratios I need. And some decks, the little as possible could be like 30 plus cards. You never know. But that's kind of like the idea that it, like you want to go with these decks is to figure out what your deck wants to do. Put in as consistently as possible as you can do it. And then supplement whatever else you need to afterwards. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> had my mic muted there or at least for a thing um yeah so like you elaborate on a couple things there that are useful for deck building um i think there's like kind of a checklist that you need to go down when you're building these rogue decks like right from the get-go you need to play a deck because it has some benefit or some some strategy, something inherent to the deck that gives it an advantage over the current meta. Like, because the deck features chocolate-flavored animals doesn't give it an advantage over the meta. But if your deck, for example, like Infernoid, use that example again. If your deck does certain things going first that play through what's the common anti-going-first cards while also dealing with graveyard reliance strategies which this meta is currently full of then that's your advantage so you play into that so all of a sudden we've checkmarked the first thing we have a good strategy that plays into the meta right now um secondly one thing i like doing is i like well everyone should be familiar with what the current meta trends are right like everyone right now is should be full well understanding what eldritch does and how Eldritch gets to its board states. Um, same thing with VW and Drytron, but like Eldritch is such a common strategy that you should be familiar with that. And what the cho choke points are, yada, yada, yada. Um, when you look at how the common top deck list, how they're all building their deck. So right now, the trend is going away from playing only six hand traps to playing nine to now we're starting to see 12 as a thing and now 
look at the decks that won. They played 15. So we're getting to a point where 15 hand traps are meta. So can your deck function, meaning 15 hand traps? If no, then you need to figure out if, first of all, 15 hand traps, if that's the meta thing you should be doing, if that's optimal, then sure. And if it is, and your deck can't do it, then why are you playing your deck? Like, for example, the current pet deck, I'm building an evil twin archetype, and this deck right now, I'm playing 15 hand traps. One of the reasons why this deck can field that is because they do everything they need to off one normal summon. And they even have their own version of E-Telly, which, again, does everything off of one card. Their one-card combo is similar to, like, Medulce's. Medulce's have a one-card combo as well. Uh, Drytron has some one-card combos. Like, a lot of decks can do things off one card. But what sets this Evil Twin deck apart is when they set up their one-card combo, they play into every hand trap, which I think is interesting. It's not normally a good thing, but... When you're playing Evil Twin, you will provoke any Ash Blossom, Droll, DD Crow. Um, I think that's the main ones that you'll see. You'll play into every one of those hand traps. So just off your normal summon, you will see those hand traps. Secondly, the combo sets you up a removal and sets you up a draw. So your normal summon replaces itself immediately, plus you get a destruction effect. So the deck will, by default, already get you a plus one to plus two, and it plays into what is common, uh, like, supporting casts like Eldritch and whatnot. When building this deck, I looked at a lot of meta trends, and the 15 hand traps is a lot, but it's, like, what's almost considered optimal now. I'm also playing um, a lot of good trap cards because i'm playing the eldritch package with it it's more of just like a auxiliary engine to facilitate the discard effects um and yeah it's i don't want to get into too much detail with like the numbers and why i have the numbers at the number they're at because that'll just get boring um but the point being is like i bounce a lot of ideas off of like what's the current meta trends and i try to extrapolate why bring that over to my rogue deck and why is my rogue deck a good matchup for the meta right now? I think my rogue deck is literally a meta deck. Just I have eight cards different. And instead of playing the Zodiac engine, I have an effect that's just like Drytron. But it's non-targeting. Or it's uh, I can hit face up or face down cards. And more importantly, it has a lot more uh, recursion than Zodiac does. So... I don't know. I like. I guess if you compare the current deck I'm building, it's just Zodiac Eldritch, but minus the Zodiac, add the Evil Twins. The Evil Twin stuff is way more vulnerable to hand traps, sure, but it's because I'm intentionally playing into those hand traps, which then makes you know Disciples of Nadir, or Nadir Servant rather, makes that more uh, consistent. I'm playing a very very small Eldritch engine, but again, I'm of the opinion that Eldritch is not optimal. Even though I keep fucking building it, I don't know. Fucking hate Eldritch. Eldritch <laughs> um, just is unique in that it facilitates enough with discard outlets and being enough disruption that it just kind of like is a glue that brings a lot of rope garbage together. Um, 
feel like Eldos is just that one archetype now that's kind of like in it of itself if it's just by itself it's not the best like it does well but it's not the like greatest thing in the world but it's just like this extra little engine that just so happens to involve like that just so happens to want to discard or send a card to the graveyard and this one engine discards mm. a card and yep. it makes it all work like one thing that if you can pop your own cards for free then the eldritch engine the eldritch engine obviously becomes way more valuable just because you can pop your own uh cursed eldland and then get both pieces for free basically uh and the evil twin deck does do that so it's nice to be able to play into your deck strengths um i wish i was not so foggy right now like brain wise i'd be able to go into more detail that made sense for the casual <laughs> viewer but yeah just like kind of play into what the current meta trend is i'm playing as many hand traps to deal with the meta just like zodiac eldliches i'm playing what makes zodiac eldlich strong but just my own flavor with the evil twin stuff and again you have the added benefit of the evil twin stuff isn't very well known so you can beat people just by their ignorance like they don't know when to bait out certain evil twin effects um following that up with i'm playing a single shadal schism because shadal schism is super like nadir servant right now is one of the best cards in the game like it has been since it came out but more importantly it also just sets up window for essentially free now if you play any deck that plays darks and again the evil twin deck plays darks the zodiac deck doesn't so it's like it's another perk to this deck versus what the most recent successful deck is so like I, there's so many layers i can elaborate on all the different nuances to why this deck is preferable and in my view better than what the current standard is but it would just take forever and would get boring so but like you can already kind of get a gist of where i'm at looking at different random rogue strategies and i'm done ranting <laughs> see for me building plunder or actually i think a better a better deck for me to talk about would be my thunder mashup that i played several weeks ago oh no more than weeks ago like a month ago you played that over in december yeah yeah i played it in december so i played a 60 card mashup deck it was thunder dragon chaos dragon zombies dangers a little pendulum there were some light swarns i think that was it yeah again it was a mashup deck uh very much a rogue strategy um i kind of built my deck in that mindset of i'm just going to play this deck i know it can win if i get to go off but i know i'm more than likely not gonna win the tournament but i can still do well um building that deck basically just came down to me ignoring meta trends so kind of the opposite of what cody was doing uh, ignoring the meta trends and basically building a deck with as much gas as possible so any opening hand I would be able to play through the play through hand traps, maybe play through some negations, but still be able to build a board that can either OTK or set up 
my own like field of negations. Now keep in mind I was playing this back or Drytron was out, so the hand trap counter stacks was still just just uh, Ash Blossom, maybe Nibiru and so I wasn't playing much before, which, which is probably a good reason why I was playing the deck. Uh, because I didn't have to worry about 15 hand traps and stopping all my gas. Yeah, like, the mentality building that deck was, I'm just going to play my 60 cards, I'm going to be playing a lot of 3 ofs. While I am playing 60, I want to be able to do my very normal um consistently. So having different variations of I can go through my different plays. Again, I wanted to max out on you keep like cutting out. Um, just for variety. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> it's almost like your mic is not picking up your feed every couple seconds. Give me, give me one second. Yeah. How close is your mic to your face? Pretty close. Uh, give me, give me a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, while you do your thing, um, I think that's like what a lot of what I've seen recently wouldn't scouting a lot of these top decks that have been winning and people doing their deck profiles and stuff like that is a lot of the rogue strategies that are doing well right now are doing just that they're ignoring uh current meta trends and they're just playing gas like the the adamancer prank kids list uh had like five hand traps mm -hmm. and then the rest of the cards were just gas for the deck to go off and that's the entire premise of what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that their deck can go off where their deck does stuff and they're hoping to get there off of that. I'm not sure if the Dragon Link deck was the same way. Dragons, Dragon Link was like the original deck that did that. Um, yeah. I hate doing that this format. Because like if you look back when I played uh, that going second board break deck. Whatever you want to call yeah. it. The, basically the Orcus yeah. deck I played. It was hard going second Orcus with every ignorant go second break board card you can play in a deck. And mm -hmm. I, I did really well at their regionals just because I said fuck it i'm gonna play so much gas and i'm gonna win and that's what the deck did this format is so fucking bad for that and it pisses me off that so many people are winning this format with just gas dot deck because <laughs> the reason this format is bad for decks like that is you can't play into herald of ultimate with four plus negates you cannot play into a vfd no. with those types of effects or values really like those cards yeah. hard say no to gas and like so many people are still playing just like gas turbo decks and like how many times have you seen people playing ad emancipator or what other random deck into vw vw wins a die roll oh well i guess game one's a loss and like these yeah. decks half the time are scooping before their opponent even sees their deck and they're thinking okay mm -hmm. well that's a good play because i'll have the advantage going you know game two and three that they don't even know what my deck does it's like if your deck's strategy is I'm going to scoot before they can see what deck I'm playing just because I can't play into their combo, like, that's not a good deck. And that's why I don't like the current trend of Ad Emancipator and Dragon Link. Because they're just gas turbo. Yeah. Well, like, I think that's kind of the idea behind picking your rogue deck based on what the meta is right now. Uh -huh. Like, don't get me wrong, I drag, like, the Dragon Link deck and the Ad Emancipator deck, I'm sure they won a lot of matches and, like, they're piloted by good people but you have to not forget the fact that a lot of the times with the 3v3 with these like weird rogue decks like these weird rogue combo decks that topped there's a very realistic chance that like 
they might not have gone in there under normal circumstances and they got carried by the other two decks. Like, don't, again, don't get me wrong, they could have had winning records going into, like, top 16 and all that, having maybe dodged a bunch of Drytrons and a bunch of VW because of the nature of a 3v3 tournament. But it's like you said, these crazy combo rogue decks have almost zero way of playing into these, like, huge floodgate yeah. monsters like VFD or the crazy negate boards, like, ultimate ness with four negations yep. yeah i know the the like because I, I i've been playing around with the lyrics tribigate deck on the side and it's the same idea that the a lot of these like turbo gas decks like this one as well uh they win the dice roll or they win the rock paper scissors because if they win that then there's a high chance they're gonna win that game because they just have all the gas, right? You can do hand trap after hand trap after hand trap, but they just have gas after gas after gas to keep going. Um, but if they do lose that die roll, there is a higher chance of them just losing that match, depending on the matchup, right? Say if they are playing into the uh, VW matchup, I have a hard time believing they're going to win if the VW guy draws optimally enough and is able to make the VFD board. Same with the Drytron matchup. Right? Drytron... I don't know how Nick keeps drawing bad with that deck, but... I don't either. We're, we're dropping the decks. I'm playing VW now. Yeah, <laughs> this makes no sense to me, but it... Again, same situation. Like, they, they dropped those boards of like the Herald of Ultimateness, and, again, infinite amount of negates that it has. And a lot of these... De like, same with this list that I have, it, it would have a hard time, like, playing into all those because it'll... As much as I have all this gas, you have enough that will stop it. Um, maybe they do get lucky in the sense that they'll f play against other rogue matchups or they'll play against like uh, Eldritch and they might get there because of that but uh, I think... in, in a perfect world that well, in, in an optimal like play field that won't happen so I think we kind of like identified the big thing with building rogue uh, rogue combo decks um I feel like they're a lot more meta dependent than building like a rogue control deck like Cody's Eldritch Zombie or Eldritch uh, Live Twin. Evil Twins or even like my patrol deck, which is like closer to control than it is combo. Um, these combo decks, these combo rogue decks, like my weird mashup deck, like Dragon Link like a massive prank kids or just even prank kids they are very dependent on the meta trends because if we're in metas where floodgates are these floodgate monsters are as prevalent as they are um, those that can't play because just the inherent way you want to build a rope uh, a combo deck is you want as much gas as possible you want to maximize seeing your combo pieces so you're generally cutting things like hand traps you're maxing out on all these cards and you're basically losing any type of interaction on your opponent's turn when you're going second so that you can play your combos it doesn't lend itself well when your opponent just goes herder here's a big dragon that says you can't activate effects of this type of monster and then you lose because of it if we were back in December when the most prevalent decks were uh, 
like the unoptimized VW list and Zodiac Elbitch, I'd have been a lot more comfortable playing Herder combo rogue deck because all I'm worrying about are Ash and Nibiru. I can build a combo deck that deals with Ash and Nibiru, no problem. And going second, if I'm just worried about back row, I know how to play through back row. But, yeah, I, I think another thing to, and I think another thing to keep in mind is if a rogue strategy is good enough to deal with everything in the meta, it's meta. It's no longer yeah. rogue. Um, what would be a good example of... I'm sure you have a good example of that one, Cody. Well, it's like your Lurless Tri-Brigade deck, right? The first couple tournaments where it was showing up that's considered rogue because the percentage of it in tournament is so low. You only had like two to three players playing the deck. Mm -hmm. But it's starting to teeter into that tier 2 slot now. Bordering maybe tier 1.5. I don't think it's there yet, but it's bordering into that like tiered position now because there's more people playing it. Like, yeah, but like I said, um, it's going for its strategy. It's really strong because it's able to produce such a strong board with not as much as it needs to do so. And like having being able to have like being one of the few decks that can still play Apalooza effectively enough, and also just playing like some more of Murder Sovereign, like having an efficient way of playing that card is huge. Uh, going into the barrier statue right so yeah uh i don't i don't know like i can't remember when there was a point where like a rogue deck just started plowing through the entire meta and just became meta itself that was vw every meta deck starts off as rogue first there's an established yeah. you know there's a status quo of what's good and a new deck a new deck can get so hyped from the ocg that they're meta before they even get here like sky strikers or dragon rulers but yeah. look at rogue deck like almost every deck right now was rogue before it was meta like virtual world yeah. wasn't a meta deck until the first tournament and both first and second was virtual world and everyone now prepared for virtual world uh the following yeah. couple tournaments drytron right drytron was there's a youtuber actually pack he plays all these random rogue decks like day one, and he'll play whatever mm -hmm. tournaments coming the weekend with those rogue decks. And he does really well with like every deck he plays with. He got second with that virtual world deck, and then he played Drytron like the following week or two, whenever it was, and did well again. And it goes from being rogue to meta very quick. It's like Cody was saying with the VW deck. Um, I remember picking it up when the set dropped because I went Herder, these kind of look cool I want to dick around with it. I had no idea that it would become meta. I thought it was going to be like that fun rogue deck pick because like, oh I can make a VW it's funny. Or I can make a VFD it's funny. And then look what happened. It, <laughs> like people realized oh this is really freaking good. And it went from like what you said, that rogue status to like tier one status in a matter of like two weeks it's like that's kind of the thing with your rogue strategy if it picks up it'll go from rogue to tiered in like one to two weeks just because like someone sees success with it a bunch of people jump on board because it looks fun kind of like what's happening with the literalist deck like all the tri-brigade stuff is being 
bought out, it's all expensive now because it had a good showing in a tournament and people are playing it. So now it's tiered. I would consider it a tiered deck, like a tier two deck, yeah. not Rome. That's where you can go into the financial angle of Yu-Gi-Oh! And people make a lot of money because they practice these OCG decks and realize, hey, wait, this virtual world deck is really good. I'm going to pick up mm -hmm. the virtual world cards when they come out. And then you pick up Lulu's when they come out at like 10 bucks pop and they shoot up to 30 and you just tripled exactly. your money. Like, yeah, like I got my Lulu's for five each. Mm -hmm. And now I'm laughing. Yep. Like, like even Dredron, I picked up my Nova's for... Twenty dollars each, and now they're like a fifty, sixty dollar card because they started off rogue because they had zero success in the OCG, which we can kind of like attribute to things like Max C. But here they no OCG players rogue. cannot build Yu-Gi-Oh decks. <laughs> and if you want any proof of this, look at the current trends in, in OCG. What decks yeah, all of a sudden became good in OCG after American players started building them right? Every Sir, the, they got the TCG, they got the Dratron XYZ, and it's broken. <laughs> it's like whatever. <laughs> the, their meta is so bad because their decks only pop up. Like their good decks only pop up because they net deck us. I'm so sick and tired of looking at OCG decks and being like, yeah, apparently it's right to just play two maxi and a crossout designator for like this random Lancia. It's like I. Like, so bad. It pisses me off. <laughs> I just... I feel like OCG and TCG differences is a whole video in itself. Yeah, I just insulted like 3 billion people. Proud of you for that. Yeah. Anyways, um, at least I didn't say Muhammad's bad at Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> what's next? She's... Uh, I think we yeah so talked. we kind of given our examples for like different rogue decks that we've done like yeah. you talked about your Eldritch live twins Jordan went in on his little cake weeb thing mm -hmm. I talked about my booty yeah I love my cake weeb thing okay don't dust I can't even like throw shade at Jordan anymore because I'm literally playing live twins no okay first of all I need to like start make a stand right here all right I need to go full Gandalf like. You can't pass about this shit. We need to come to a consensus on what this deck is called. Is it Live Twin or Evil Twin? Because I'm sick of fucking looking and trying to find out if I forgot any missing thing about the archetype. And I Google or <laughs> YouTube Live Twin and only get half the fucking results because y'all can't come to an, a conclusion on what the fuck it's called. You say it's Evil Twin, but the main no, deck monsters Evil Twin. are Live it's Twin. It's Evil Twin because you based it, you based the name of the archetype or the core of the deck on whatever the boss monster is, and the boss monster is going to be evil twin. Your evil twins. Yeah, you say that. It's like it's like well, it's like Eldritch, right? You, you say that, but like, all of the only play Eldritch, all of the, the all the fucking support cards are okay. live twin, like live twin would, home. Yeah. Yeah. You said it though. YouTube you said it though. You said the support cards are live twin. The cards you want to play though are the evil twins. No, you use live twins to make the evil twins. You play more yeah. live twin yeah, cards I than use... evil twins. Yeah, do. but I use Eldlichers to make Eldlich, and I still call it Eldlich. That's because he's wearing, like, all golden armor, and he looks badass. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm calling my deck? My, no, like... I'm playing... My deck is Live Twin Zombies. And people are like, what's that? And, like, it's Evil Twin Eldlich. They're like, oh, I know that deck. I'm like, yeah, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm playing Live Twin Zombies, all right? 
Why? Because how many zombies am I playing in my deck? I play Eldritch's one. I play three Ash, three Ghost Bell. I play two Conquistador and a single Hakaro. And that's all zombies. I'm not playing Eldritch. I'm playing zombies. Yeah. See, by, by, your, by your standards, that means my deck, one of my decks is Fire Fist Zombies, even though it's Zodiac Eldritch. You don't play, play Fire Fist. Yeah, it's not I Fire Fist card. It's a Fire Formation. Smartass. True. I play Fire Formation Zombies. Yeah, that's fine. All right. <laughs> You're playing Beast Warrior Zombies. There you go. Yeah. I'm I'm still just playing cake. Yeah, you're playing so, weave cake. Uh, why, yeah, I'm just gonna keep making fun of you. You're playing di you're playing diabetes. That's true. Thank you. Diabetes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we kind of covered the rogue decks that we've played and how we built them. Did anyone uh, suggest random rogue decks to talk about? Yeah, actually, um, Ronnie was the only one who posted, and he said Mermail. Sir Stove also posted. Wow, you're just neglecting the out of towners. You're so fucked up. Hey, no, that's, I didn't read. I didn't see. You know, really you're you're throwing shade because Stove out ate you in a wing eating competition. I get it. Hey, you know I what? get it. You're just bitter, day. Jordan. I get that's, it. We I'll love you, Stove. <laughs> you won't. It wasn't even you, close. No, it wasn't actually. How does how does a man eat forty wings in thirteen minutes? Like. It was. I'm pretty sure it's faster in 13 minutes. He, he wolfed those was things it? down. Yeah, it was pretty fast. Yeah. It was much faster. I don't understand in 13 how minutes. he did. Okay, no, no. It was. It was definitely faster than 13 minutes. All I remember was he had all 40 wings down, and I had 13 left. That what. That's what it was. I yeah. had 13 wings left, and I'm just trying to. I'm still trying to do the math in my head. You know those memes where they they they're doing like crazy NASA's calculus math, mm -hmm. whatever, floating yeah. by them. Yeah, yeah, I still can't do it. Yeah, well, he, for those of you that don't know, uh, Jordan and our friend Stove from Saskatchewan had a wing eating contest, and Jordan I got, got shit pushed annihilated. I I consider myself one of the fastest eaters I know. Like I know a couple fast eaters out there, but I eat ridiculously fast. Hence why we make the joke that I don't actually eat food; I absorb food via osmosis. Mm -hmm. Um, like our our friend Steve Hansen will keep saying he'll look away and he'll look back a minute later and my food's gone he's never actually seen me eat my food um but like stove from saskatchewan has so far been the only person i've had an eating contest against and lost it was kind of embarrassing i was uh, i was sad yeah i it was it was shameful mm -hmm. and i don't think jordan will ever recover from it. no no the, the jordan stock has plummeted the squeeze is over. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, regardless. <laughs> so, what did Ronnie talk about? Mermail? Ronnie wanted Mermail, but I can't remember what Stove had on his post. Okay, well, his uh, was heroes, heroes, I think. Uh, yeah, so I already kind of spoke about Mermails a little bit earlier. Um, in regards to this meta right now, it's funny. I've actually related uh, Drytron a lot to Mermails. Like, if, if you look at yeah. the interactions and like the drytron ecosystem of how they function from their point a to b to c and like the mechanics that get them from those points to the next they are very similar to mermails actually so if you're a fan of drytron you would like how mermails play the trade-off being is drytron is just way more efficient at it obviously and their end board when going first is way more resilient and herald hurt or 50 negates What's neat, though, is I think Mermails right now have a decent spot in a world where 
Drytron isn't public enemy number one and getting hand trapped to death. Because the worst feeling in the world is going Neptibus, dump Dragoons, search Dragoons, try to resolve Dragoons on new chain and getting chained droll. That is just the biggest blow that Mermail has ever had to deal with. And that's going to be more common now than ever before. So I don't know if Mermails is the best choice just because they're indirectly getting hated on by all of the hate that Drytron's getting. Like, you don't want to play into a meta of Droll and DD Crow. Also, Mermails doesn't like the fact that they go Neptibus and they just get, you know, Conquistador right away. That's never a good feeling. <laughs> no, never a good feeling. Yeah. I guess I can talk about heroes having mm-hmm. played the deck. I don't think it's great right now. It like the biggest shortcoming of the deck before was how easily hand trapped it was. Um you could get hit with the Ash Blossom on your Ferris. You could get hit by things like Ghost Bell on your um, hero, Link Monster. There was just a lot of poise that you could hit that would kind of stop the deck and make their plays extremely inoptimal. Um, A lot of the time you could just still put the Dark Law on the board, but Dark Law is... Like, it's still a great boss monster. And in this format, surprisingly good, especially against... Uh, Drytron when you're saying that all their monsters get banished and you're knocking cards out of their hand but again we're in a format where there's at minimum like 9 to 15 hand traps in everyone's deck you're not going to be able to make your plays so I don't think it's a great choice right now it's just too fragile yeah it's uh, there's some something to take from that though I think in regards to both heroes and mermails um when you're building your rogue deck to combat the meta, if your rogue deck is indirectly getting hated on by the anti-meta cards, then it's just by default probably not a good choice. Because, like, again, the yeah, example against Drytron, if your anti-Drytron cards also hurt your deck, then it's you're already setting yourself up to lose. Uh, heroes, too, they lose to Droll, right? So, like, why are you playing these decks to... To just lose the same way the meta decks do. Um, saying yeah. that, I, I think Mermails are actually like good enough to win locals at least, which is saying something. I yeah. think they could they could date to any like more prestigious event right now. I think Mermails have a I, lot going for it, but it, it's just with, rough with hand traps. I think with the um, with everything moving forward, like people playing like the fifteen <clears> hand trap builds, and especially like cards like Droll being in the format, right? Like, Droll being main deck right now, that has always been public enemy yeah, public enemy number one for Mermails, because Mermails just constantly want to add cards to their hand, like, via Dragoons or other means, right? And if they can't do that, then they can't develop the advantage they need in order to keep going, right? Because Dragoons is pretty much the deck's gas. Mm-hmm. And if I can't keep pulling off a Dragoons effect because my opponent drolled me, I'm done. Yep. My, I remember the the formats that I did play Mermail, Droll was nowhere to be seen. The hand traps of choice were like Ash Blossom and Impermanence, and those don't do enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good example of when something like Mermail is catered for the meta. Like, we can say all the faults it has, but 
in a meta where there is some just end-all be-all effect that you have to stop that requires you playing impermanence and sometimes even Valor to just always have an out to that effect that's when you bring in something like Mermills because that deck yeah. doesn't care about effect Valor and impermanence so you play into the hand traps that you don't lose to that's why I said that like Infernoid again I think Infernoid is more tailored to this meta like you don't care about Droll, you don't care about Ghost Spells, you don't care about those effects, and Droll is kind of suboptimal in those matchups too, or in that matchup, even though the deck is a big graveyard deck, just because it's all uh, non-chain link summons from graveyard. So you can't go like, oh, I'm a DD Crow in response to you trying to summon a Sysimus. It's like no, it just comes out. It's too late already. Yeah. So like when you have to preemptively use the card before they even attempt to do something, then it's a lot easier for them to play around your card. Yeah. Uh, do either of you guys have anything else to add for deck topic? Uh, I don't know if there's any ideas for like rogue decks that we haven't talked about yet. Like uh, Cyber Dragons right now, it's always a good example. There's actually a guy on YouTube that if you're interested in playing wacky variants of Cyber Dragons, this guy you've seen, he's got the, he's had the most success for like obscure Cyber Dragon strategies, and I like his theory um usually i'll take one of his cores and i'll modify it a bit because i'm not a big fan of like the final lists he has but the theory he has and the ideas are really concrete um yeah. so like cyber dragon's a good go like madolce regardless of all the shit i give jordan madolce is very good at doing one thing and it's just setting up a stupid amount of damage and removing that last line of defense you have through whatever you have um and then like plunder patrol again is like that weird awkward deck that that's like i guess the best word to describe plunder is it's awkward and if you don't know exactly what you're doing plunder punishes you and the deck is so awkward that you probably don't know what you're doing because i've like i said earlier i've played against patrol so much that i still probably lose more like i still lose more to nick playing patrol than i lose more to him because I don't know exactly what to do, then the deck just being inherently good. Uh, and that's rare for me, because I tend to like min-max Yu-Gi-Oh! to an unhealthy degree. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's um, any other rogue PK decks. Fire? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking Burning Abyss. Deck never dies. Um, I don't I don't know how good the deck is with the new uh, Phantom Knight, because I've seen it it's, can do some pretty... It's very consistent yeah i've seen it can do some pretty crazy combos like it can play through a lot um i don't know i i i wish i actually looked up some videos and stuff just to see like their their bread and butter combos and stuff but i don't know yeah, i know they're it, it basically went from being a deck that's um they basically with uh torn scales and having rusty Bardish back they went from being able to like before if they were going for the rusty British play like it was inter like you could interrupt it through mm. several means like if you stop the graph if yeah. you stop seer that kind of stuff so like they had a more to points they basically added another layer of things they can do with torrent scales because now before the normal summon was always just going to be like tour guide everything else you were kind of special summoning or you're just normal summoning and they didn't do anything now with torn scales, you're normal summoning, and you basic uh, torn scales in itself gives you like basically two additional bodies because it'll summon itself from the grave. 
Plus, it's putting things in the graveyard so you can keep using them. So it's great because it's an extender as well as being a starter. To the point where, like, my plunder deck right now is GK Plunder because just how strong Torn Scales is. Because by itself, it'll make a Rusty Barnish. I think Plunder falls into this weird bracket of the format. Like, this weird gray area where not every meta deck right now loses to Nibiru. And that's kind of caused it to be side deck, not main deck. But there are so many rogue decks that are incredibly strong that do play well when into even all the most common hand traps right now but they all fundamentally lose to nibiru so there's a lot of weird obscure combo decks that just hard lose to nibiru and they are good right now because of the current hand trap lineups but as soon as those weird is back to being main boarded yeah and and again i could be completely off base with this because i don't know the pk fire deck well enough but in theory the deck seems like a herder combo play through anything deck and with a lot of different routes to get to the same means like with rusty bradation yeah. stuff but it just hard loses to nibir that about sums it up mm-hmm. uh what else is there to elaborate on i think one thing people need to understand too when they're playing rogue decks and just building decks in general because again, like uh, I think it was Nick earlier who said that a lot of people will just play the same meta deck, just copy paste net deck, which is perfectly fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but don't be scared to change ratios of things, right? Like if you see people playing, uh, you know, they're playing just three, 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 three of all the stuff in VW, and they're playing three pot of desires and like it makes sense why you play three because you want to maximize all the cards in your deck like that's just how it's accepted but i linked jordan a deck list earlier with an eldritch lineup that's really cut down it's like the one golden lord i still play three eldlixer but it's only two conquistador one hakero and it's like even more shaved down than it was before and it seems kind of weird at the start but you can optimize decks by changing ratios of what's commonly accepted. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement for cards that people are just too stubborn to try to take a different look at. So that's one thing yeah, to I think, think about. I think a big thing, especially when you're a rogue player, is testing will like testing your deck is gonna be your best friend. And like not even just solitaring the deck constantly to learn your combos, like you need to play against what you're expecting to play against to test your deck um, that's how you're going to find like that's how you're going to find your optimal ratios that's how you're going to find things especially if you're playing like a more mainstream engine like Eldritch which can get splashed into a lot of different things maybe the standard Eldritch lineup isn't right for your deck and you want to cut it down a little bit like what you was saying with like one golden lord three elixirs and two golden land cards um, so yeah like make sure you're testing your deck i cannot stress that enough uh another thing that's good for the rogue decks is when you get to a certain point in your deck that you need to understand like where you have your choke points right knowing where your own choke points are knowing what you can do to get past them is also really good uh, there's obviously rogue decks like Medulce, like I was saying earlier, where the choke points of the deck are so strong that you kind of just have to stop playing. You can't do much about it. Um, 
so you have to kind of like supplement something else to do that but that's something you have to keep in mind is what can i supplement to kind of keep going from there right so like i don't play pure medulce anymore because it just i can't sell like i can't get past some hand traps well enough but if i supplement other things in there and they hand trap me at this point in my combo it's like oh i can just I, hopefully i have something else that i can keep playing um other decks I, I i can't really say for some other decks because i don't know well enough but just knowing those choke points that you have and knowing how to play through them is huge and i think that goes for like most Yu-Gi-Oh decks in general but rogue decks also just you inherently have to know more into it um another rogue deck that i was trying to say earlier but my internet keeps going all yeah i know me uh uh, what about Salamangrate? I think Salamangrate's just getting uh, power it's crept out. Fair. It's getting power crept out by just a better engine in Zodiac. Like, I think what made Solid good was that they could functionally play 15 hand traps and still have a solid enough going first, whereas literally just like a single disruption. But more importantly, they could very, very easily OTK going second with all the tools that cyberspace decks have uh, but like why play that when you could just be playing zoo and that's another thing too people need to understand when they're playing rogue if you're playing a deck because you like it that's fine as long as you understand that you're putting yourself at disadvantage as you if you acknowledge that you're playing a weaker deck so be it have fun do you but don't play a deck that you think is good when there is just a stri strictly better option in the meta like there's almost no reason to play salad over something like zoo right now or in your opinion evil twin well i think <laughs> i think i fucking hate it when people say in my opinion and i think and all that stuff like based off of what i see with evil twin it's more vulnerable to get the evil twin stuff going than the zoo stuff and the zoo stuff can obviously hurt or Zeus for six materials, mm -hmm. which is like the whole reason to play that deck. Evil Twin yep, can't do yep. that. The Evil Twin can still one card Zeus you, but what the Evil Twin deck does is they can set up. They get a plus one in a draw and set up a removal in the graveyard, or set up a removal while also having you know upwards of 12 copies of their starter and three to six copies of that are also e-tellies which double as an extender as well so like if you get hand trap you can still play perfectly fine if you draw the live twin home mm -hmm. so like there's just so much benefit and like the live twin stuff you can just go for the draw or you can pop cursed Eldland to profit uh and the fact yeah. that their combo also uh, it gives you a dark for the Shadal Schism. Like, there's just... There's enough perks. There's enough pros to the Evil Twin engine that I think it is better than Zodiac. Enough layers. Yeah. But if you don't put that much thought into your rogue deck, and you still think it's better than a meta deck without having some concrete reasoning, you're probably wrong. You need to put a lot of thought into this stuff. Mm-hmm kind of give you guys an idea on how much thought Cody actually puts into these things. Mm -hmm. He sent me a rogue strategy once mm -hmm. and I was looking through the list and he was saying, I was trying to, he was saying, I'm trying to fit 
this card in here or the ratio of cards in here but I'm at 38 and I don't know what two cards to cut and I kid you not I think I messaged him 10 minutes later I'm like hey like what like, what other cards do you have that you could cut for this like whatever four cards he was trying to put in he's like oh no 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 I've already scrapped that I'm already like three iterations ahead yeah it's that it's gotten pretty ridiculous to the point where I don't like build decks IRL until I've gotten pretty confident with it because I made the mistake earlier today of putting together this evil twin deck and physical cards and i was like okay i was pretty confident with it and i didn't even touch Yu-Gi-Oh for the last like five six hours we get ready for the podcast i pull out my deck and i'm like fuck this card this deck's already 10 cards different than what i built earlier <laughs> and that's like how quickly it changes and i guarantee you by the monday uh remote duel tournament it's going to be another five cards different because it's going to be further optimized mm-hmm Gotta always stay you can't moving, just like man. You can't just, like, pick up a deck and hope that it it's going to be as good now as it is a week later. Yu-Gi-Oh! is an ever-changing game. There's always going to be something that comes to the format. Like, right now, everybody's meaning Droll. Uh, maybe in the near future, there's going to be a deck that is going to capitalize on people meaning Droll now. And it's going to do well. Or there's going to be a strategy that these other decks play that they can adapt to people doing this there's just so many different things that just happen and we just got blazing vortex the set now too so uh pot of prosperity being the big name card in there and in a lighter sense as well the link five monster uh, these cards might have a large enough impact that we might see some other rogue strategies just move forward uh, especially since pot now gives all these tier two decks that were having consistency issues uh, an extra boost and that might be the extra push they need so here I'm going to go into a little bit of detail real quick okay try encapsulate this in a couple minutes that thing I was just talking about the evil twin and how I changed 10 cards on a whim like that so the original idea is I was playing the standard evil or the eldritch engine right you have 2 golden boy 3 cursed 3 eldlicks or the 3 uh, sanguine one 2 uh, conquistador or no, three Conquistador, two Hakero. So that's like what's most considered like a minimum lineup because you still play two. El- yeah, you play two Eldritch to dodge DD Crowfax, and you play, you know, the three three two of the traps. I was only playing six hand traps, or no nine. I was playing nine before hand traps, and I found that almost every hand that I was doing uh, test draws with. If it didn't feature at least one high-impact hand trap, it felt like I was just auto-going to lose any matchup I lost a die roll. So I wanted to up the amount of hand traps. So I just threw them in. So I'm at, like, whatever, close to 50 after I made some changes. And I realized that I actually don't need Eldritch to resolve in any manner to, like, further my game state. It's just there as a supplementary engine for discards. And it's an added perk when I draw the right combination of cards, but it's nothing I should rely on. So why am I dedicating so much main deck to an engine that I don't necessarily need to resolve to win? It's just there to help uh, put enough pressure to win. So I cut Hakero down to one because I was already cutting that card down to two anyways. Cutting down to one because it's a utility toolbox if I need the removal. But that's it. That's all it's there for. I uh, two Conquistador because if I need to dump a Golden Land, 
at least I still have a Conquistador existing somewhere. And it's yeah. still the better one. And then 3 Elixir is because you still want to be able to summon the body with Elixir. It gets your engine started, at least. Uh, and then the one Golden Boy. If it gets DD Crowed, so be it, right? Like, your opponent still had to use a card on your trap. So, whatever. You're trading the one for one in that situation. Uh, and because I'm only playing so many of the Golden Land traps, if my gold... If uh, the Eldritch gets banished, then I don't really take a huge loss because now I'm not fielding over a quarter of my deck in traps that need a certain card to exist somewhere. Uh, I started adding more tra uh, hand traps, obviously, so I hit 15. I was comfortable with that. And then I wasn't playing uh, a full suite of Evil Twin Home, or Live Twin Home, rather, which is like their e-telly thing, but it has a big restriction on it. I found that this card was like the perfect extender because this card makes it so any opening with the Live Twins lets you play through any hand trap because this card just lets you fill in the gaps. So why should I not be playing a full suite of this? So after like fixing the ratios, adding more hand traps, making my deck more resilient going first and second, and reducing... Oh, I also cut Shadal Beast and Shadal... Uh, Reshadal Wendy, which made Nadir Servant slightly less powerful because sometimes you like being able to just search a Wendy, discard Wendy, special beast from deck. But I noticed every situation where that was the play, it was more so because the rest of my hand was too weak to set up a schism and the beast was just like a plan B and the beast wasn't actually making my board any stronger or putting enough pressure that my opponent had to kill the beast so I just scrapped that idea as well so now my hand quality gets goes up immensely because I don't have garbage at all as I'm drawing all the time mm -hmm. there's a hundred more layers to that than what I just said but that kind of gives you an idea of how I mean yeah something you can extrapolate from that what you just said is like going back to like ratios of cards you play especially with rogue decks or like any decks right you want to make sure you can minimize on like you were saying those dead draws right cards mm -hmm. that kind of just yeah they're they're strong uh supplements to other cards that you play like a good example would be like Fleur de Lis with the uh, Nadir Servant right mm -hmm. when you draw Fleur on its own it is the worst feeling in the world because that card does absolutely nothing but I mean if you have the optimal situation where you have an Ecclesia on board and there's an uh, an extra deck monster on the field now Fleur de Lis looks really really good but you want to try and with rogue decks because you're so uh like you're so focused on making sure that your strategy works you want to make sure that you're not you know putting in too many of these cards that hurt your strategy like, where you, you draw these hands and you end up with a hand of like like three uh essentially garnets right they do nothing on their own mm -hmm. but you need them in order for the combo to work out right um if you don't actually need this card for the combo to be optimal don't play it yeah um to be fair that kind of goes into general deck building well that's why i was saying in general deck building right i i, I think try not to I, I think one thing that a lot of people who play just the meta decks kind of get uh almost babied or like they don't really understand is they'll play these meta decks and they play these bad ratios and suboptimal like garnets 
but they get carried by the fact that their deck is just so good that it compensates for their bad deck building whereas rogue decks can't afford that so they need to cut back on as much bad draws as possible which the biggest pet peeve i have in the world is when people brick and they complain that they brick all the time and they put so much garbage in their deck it's like yeah. i can't believe i bricked i drew dark magician i drew cyframe driver i drew hakero and i drew like these two other cards and it's like okay so i can already you know deduce from that that you're playing gammas you're playing the red eyes engine and you're playing eldritch all of those cards are necessary for their engines but how much garbage did you draw like you did it to yourself by playing bad cards so when you complain to me that you drew bad no you were bad at deck building but i mean like at what point in time because like the example you're giving is um the player is playing these are bad cards so to speak like for like the engines they're meant for they're not terrible Mm -hmm. but i mean like at what point in time do you actually want to uh look at your deck and say hey like do i like i was just saying before is do I really need to need to need to play this card? Like, do I need to play Gamma with Goon and stuff like that, or can I play take Gamma out and not risk drawing another like a dead card? Right? Yeah, there's no debate that Gamma is one of the highest impact hand traps in the game. There's no debate that Eldritch is good at what it does when it is gets going, and there's no debate that mm. Dragoon's an amazing boss monster. Now the problem lies in all the extra package associated with all of them. The reason why Gamma is not an auto three up in every single list is because you have to play Driver. Driver just makes your deck quality and hand quality worse overall. You can't play Red Eyes without you know the two vanilla bosses that do almost nothing when you draw them. You mm-hmm. can't say that you know Eldritch. You can play Eldritch without Hakero, but most people are playing three. So. When you're drawing Hakero, that's one of the necessary evils of playing Eldritch. And you could say that about the other three. The problem lies in how many dead spots are you putting into your deck? And how much garbage are you willing to flood your deck to make all of these engines live? Because when your hand quality is, you know, three out of five cards are garbage garnets, it's not that you're unlucky. It's that you're trying to play so much and so many powerful engines that you're also taking on the baggers associated with each. So, like, pick your poison. Do you want to loot? Like, right now, I could very easily be playing Dragoons in this uh, live to deck. It would be very easy to make Dragoons a core part of this deck, but I don't want to add three bad cards into it. And I'm willing to take the reduced power level at the cost of not... Or at the cost of just having better overall hand quality with a lower high end or lower ceiling rather same thing with the eldritch engine the eldritch engine isn't good enough for me to warrant playing so many bad traps so i'm cutting hakaro down to one always something to keep in mind yeah i think that would be a good spot to cut the episode off i think it's running a little long we're two minutes off of two hours we're fine oh i guess there's some dead parts in there <laughs> wow. Um, what? Did you even think of like a question for next week? Oh, man. Yeah, I actually have a question. Oh, yeah? All right, go for um, it. What's the question yeah, of the week? So, 
the question of the week will kind of lead up into our episode for next week. Uh, next week's episode, we're going to be doing a talk on how we, like us three, make money in Yu-Gi-Oh! and kind of how we cards. Uh, so my question for you guys out there is what is the biggest plus you've ever made on a you just or even the biggest loss you've ever made on a Yu-Gi-Oh! just um like me for example a lot of times i'll get these cheap one to five dollar cards and then no 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 nick 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 nick, nick. save them for next week save them for next week we can all tell a story true um yeah so again the episode for next week is just going to be making money and investments in Yu-Gi-Oh. Consider like a Yu-Gi-Oh market watch. Yu-Gi-Oh market it'll be better watch. Than, it'll be better than a market watch. It's going to be how to play the Yu-Gi-Oh market. Yu-Gi-Oh stonks. Yu-Gi-Oh stonks. Oh, Let's go. Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> <laughs> Already got a name. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you guys can answer that question on all of our social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, you can reach us at WPGFTK. And again, we want to hear from you guys with the question, uh, what's the biggest gain and the biggest loss you've ever made in this game, monetary-wise? I think with that, we'll wrap it up. Um, thanks again for listening to the First Turn Podcast. I'll see you guys later. Bye, Brett. Bye, Bye Brett. Brett.